Hello, everyone. I'm going to tell you more of my sexual values. I want I want to sleep with people who are bright with sagacity, shining or vivid sageness, gleaming intelligence, shiny understanding, glittery insight, luminous perception, lustrous perceptiveness, burnished percipients, Polish perspicuity, burnished acuity, sparkling discernment, mirror-like sense, glowing good sense, flashing common sense. Scintillating shrewdness, shimmering astuteness, incandescent acumen, twinkling smartness, illumined judiciousness. Light judgment, golden foresight, silvery clear-sightedness, illuminated prudence, shining circumspection. Resplendent logic, splendid rationale, beaming rationality, radiant soundness. Glistening saneness, phosphorescent advisability, psychedelic sharpness. Dazzling savvy. A glow smarts. Irradiated sapiens and blazing arguteness. And sunlit wisdom. The other types of partners I want to sleep with is people who
are the ones who are brightly benevolent, lustrously kindness, radiantly kind-heartedness, splendidly big-heartedness, brilliantly goodness, dazzlingly goodwill, sparkingly benignity, glowingly compassion, gleamingly consideration, uh, shiningly thoughtfulness, gaily decency, freshly public spiritness, vividly social conscious, colorfully humanitarianism, cleverly philanthropism, and sunningly altruism. And then, last set of parts, I want to I would love to sleep with our people who have self-respect, healthy self-esteem, self-high regard, self-high opinion, self-regard, self-acclaim, self-admiration, self-approbation, self-adoration, self-approval, self-appreciation, self-estimation, self-favor, self-popularity, self-recognition, self-veneration, self-awe, self-reverence, self-deference, self-honor, self-praise, and self-homage, because that means they have respect for others, esteem for others, regard for others, high regard of others, high opinion of others, high acclaim of others, high admiration of others, high approbation of others, high adoration of others, high approval of others, high appreciation of others, Uh, high estimation of others, high favor of others, high popularity of others, high recognition of others, high veneration of others, high awe of others, high reverence of others, high deference towards others, high honor of others, high praise of others, and high homage to others. So those are the... types of partners I want you to sleep with. And, ooh, I cannot let this go. They must possess politeness, attentiveness, courtesy, due regard, and civility. No contempt in their hearts and no disrespect in their hearts. No spite in their hearts, no miserliness in their hearts. And lastly, No stupidity and no folly in their hearts either. And the last character traits I'll mention about 
my sexual values are this. I don't want to sleep with anyone who purposely chooses to stay internally broken, internally fractured, internally shattered, internally hurt, internally ruptured, internally burst, internally splintered, internally smashed, internally in pieces, internally collapsed, internally destroyed, internally pulverized, internally crumbled, internally mutilated, internally bruised, internally injured, internally damaged, internally rent, internally split, internally cracked, internally mangled, internally dismembered, internally fragmentary, internally fragmented, internally disintegrated, internally crippled, internally shredded, internally crushed, internally gashed, internally defective, and internally busted. So, those are the sex partners I never want to have because those are the types that have what it takes to heal, have the resources to heal, and they're choosing never to heal. Um, so, as you all know, I'm a wisdom, no-nonsense, kindness, and healthy self-boundaries type of person. So that means that biologically I desire as many women as possible. Biologically I desire as many men as possible. Biologically, I desire as many non-binary adults as possible because I I am pansexual, omnisexual. I use the terms interchangeably. They're the same thing regarding me. Um, I am not gender blind. Therefore, I notice gender. It just it, it's just not a humongous factor in terms of my partner selections. And I do feel attracted to people while noticing their gender. I just choose not to obsess over their gender. So I am of multisexuality. But let's take it a step further. Because I'm into character nobility, and I mean that secularly speaking, I desire as many morally excellent women as possible. I desire as many morally excellent men as possible. And I desire as many morally excellent non-binary adults as possible. Um, I am all around attracted to people of all gender identities, all sex characteristics, and all sexual orientations. So, for myself, I feel the understanding that Well, my desires are wholesome in and of themselves inherently. So, I'm a well-rounded, well-adjusted, well-unified, and well-balanced person who is completely attracted to other people who are well-rounded, well-adjusted, well unified and well-balanced themselves. So, I am an ethical 
womanizer. I am an ethical manizer. And I am an ethical non-binaryizer. So I, I know for me that ethical womanizing is real. Ethical manizing is real. Ethical non-binaryizing is real. Um, now, I do make it my business to be gradual and natural with people. I don't make sex mandatory for every person I meet, every person I talk to. Because sex has to be its own naturality and graduality, too. I don't make it my business to know people just to have sex. We, When it comes to people, we figure out what our dynamics are. For, a, for many people, it won't include sex. For some, it will. Uh, so, that is very important to me. And what's also very important to me is is that I choose to be a person That is whole, intact, and sound. I'm wholesome. I'm holistic. So, I'm attracted to people who are whole, intact, sound, wholesome, and holistic. It also makes me think about the fact that regarding my own sex life, or love life, you can call it that. Some people would call it playing the field. That's, I wouldn't call it that because I don't treat people as games regarding um, my intimate relationships. I would say that I am I'm walking the treadmill. That's what I call it for me. Basically, I wholesomely indulge in ethical series of healthy sex relationships without monogamously committing myself to anyone. (sighs) 
now we can talk about the organized crime part of my life. So I remember when I was a child that there were people who were around me. They were envious and jealous of my chivalry and gentlemanliness than men were. And so some of the men that I beat up because they were being public misogynists and private misogynists, they tried to exact deathly revenge on me by uh, talking about killing me because they felt upstaged by me. Unbeknownst to them, the bodyguard, the killers, were nearby about um, five to ten feet away. And they were talking about how to get weapons to come after me. It was just a group of guys. But they didn't know that the 100 people that were near them were the bot, were um, those who called themselves my bodyguards, the killers. You know, the 50 women, the 50 men. And so... The men killers said, okay, we got it. We gonna, we got this from here. So the men killers took out their assault rifles and killed the guys who were plotting on killing me. And their bodies were buried in unmarked graves by the men killers. Another time, there were other groups of guys who were public and private misogynists who I beat up because they were mistreating women and girls. So they had weapons on them and they were trying to walk in my direction. Again, and they were walking in my direction and they were walking in my direction, looking for me, trying to find me. Unbeknownst to them, the bodyguards, the killers, were nearby. So, as they were shouting after me, trying to get my attention, and I could see their weapons, and they were profanely shouting at me, and they went and they had their weapons visible so I could see it. And as they were about to roll up on me on foot, the body, the, the women killer said, okay, it's our turn. So they took out their Uzis and murdered all those guys, confiscated their weapons. Those guys ended up having their remains, their corpses, you know, dead bodies, if you will. Um, They placed them in dumpsters. And their remains rotted in the dumpsters. From what I do remember... um, Another time, there were a group of guys who were, again, these public-private misogynists who were actually trying to run up on me to fight me. It was a group of them trying, you know, they had their fists raised. They had, it was like their own anger mob. They had their 
it's like pitchforks and um they they had their Torches. They look like the typical angry mobs you see on television and movies. And they had their sticks, too. And so they were, run- they were running up on me. The men, unbeknownst to them, the women killers and the men killers said, okay, we both got this. So they, so the angry mob of public massage, private misogynists were killed by the assault rifles of the men killers and were killed by the Uzis of the women killers. They all ended up dead and their bodies, all their bodies were thrown into um, the ocean. And the women killers and men killers threw all their bodies in an ocean. And their bodies were way down in the ocean. Like that's how much water was in them. Um, from what I remember, um, another thing I remember was um, the fourth time there were men trying to drive up on me to shoot me. Again, private and public misogynists. And these were all the men I beat up because they were abusive to women, sexually, physically, emotionally, romantically, so on and so forth. Even psychologically. So, unbeknownst to them, the women killers and the men killers. Um, shot up their cars with the assault rifles and the Uzis, and their cars caught fire. And their car, and their, their the car, the cars caught fire, and they all burnt up. And all the men perished in the flames, but they perished by the bullets first. And then the rest of their perishing occurred because they were flamed up to death, you know, burnt up to death. And their cars were just destroyed. It was at least three cars. And so what happened was their their cars were... Um, Their cars ended up being fixed and remodeled because the killer said, okay, these are now going to be our cars. So the killers took them to the car dealership, had it fixed and well put together. And, and, it, and they made these regular cars look like luxurious cars because they added big spinning rims to it. And the killer's like, kidnapped the cars um in my view just stole the cars and they would drive around in those cars so I remember there were times where the killers told me that they 
force people to, they would push people off the bridge or force them to jump off the bridge if they found out that they were hating on me. And the killer said, okay, when it comes to me, If we find out that you can't stand Antonio or you got issues with Antonio, even though he didn't, he, even though he's never been evil to y'all, we're gonna have you push off clips or make you jump off a clip. Make you jump off clips, and that's exactly what happened. And that's how more of those people ended up dead. They all died. I do remember that because of these incidents, there was word on the street that made it clear that you can't disrespect Antonio in body language and verbal language because they warped Eminem's one shot, do not miss your chance to blow. In other words, one disrespect, like if you disrespect me one time, you would never have a chance to do it again because the killers are going to kill you. Even if you felt like I didn't mean for that facial expression or say it like that, you get killed, which happened to some people. That's what made other people paranoid about how they, what faces they made at me and how they spoke to me. So, that's what happened when it came to the, those killers, man. It was... So they were so heinous that after a while, even the rape stopped. Once the bodyguard killers came along, they were around me all the time, like every day, to the point where once they came into my life, um, shortly after, I was never raped sexually again. I was never in sexual slavery, being sexually enslaved ever again. I was completely out of the trafficking world by that time. And I never went back to those worlds. I was never returned back to those worlds because the kids made it clear, you know, they heard that I was in the trafficking world, the sexual slavery world. So that's why... They killed the majority of the adult customers. And they killed the majority of the human traffickers and sex traffickers. The rest of the traffickers and adult customers are serving life sentences in prison to this day. Um, Because the killers went on a adult customer killing spree every day. They went on a sex trafficker, human trafficker, killing spree every day. Um, I remember that In reality, um, the killers, especially the women killers, just being around them, they were the type of monsters that 
people actually thought I was a killer because of them, as well as the criminal sympathizers who would kill and say, I did an honor of Antonio. And the killers and the criminal sympathizers actually band together because criminal sympathizers were basically the bodyguards before the main bodyguards, the the 100 killers I told you about. They're basically, you know, this is, in their mind, this is, we're help, we're help, we're helping to protect Antonio when it come in the name of killings and beatings and robberies to those who disrespect him. And the 100 killers, the main bodyguards, did the exact same things. And they would say, all this killing and beating and robbery are doing in honor of Antonio and protecting Antonio. That's why a lot of people thought that I was a murderer and a crime boss and a person who got paid to be a hitman and they thought I was running international drug empires. They thought I was the international uh, illegal lottery. And so people were think a lot. Some many people in the streets doing these things because they would see me with these killers, and they would see the killers kill. Um, and then honestly, what I do remember being a part of that world. I, I I got to really understand um, that out of the fifth, I remember sometimes having to engage in mean mugging contests, and I would usually always win. Just in the streets, people trying to intimidate me. It wouldn't work. I would end up intimidating them because they would look away and they would never make eye contact with me ever again. Because they knew in terms of these mean mugging, like harsh staring contests, no one could beat me on those things. Now, some of the victims of the sex trafficking world ended up becoming sex traffickers themselves. So what I did was I called the police on a payphone in front of them. I had my gun on me. And I told them, don't run, I got a gun, because they're planning on running away. So they tried to mean mug me. These were people that I I was surviving with and they became sex traffickers, human traffickers themselves. So shortly after, and I said, well, I'm strapped. And I said, after I said, well, I'm strapped, I said, You don't want me to gun smoke you. So they mean mugged me, I mean mugged them back. They looked away, but they stayed because they saw I was armed. And the cops came. And the witnesses corroborated the story of them sex trafficking people even though they were sex trafficking themselves and those same people are now serving 50 years to life in prison because of my phone call to 911 and in that world I remember telling y'all the story of the 15 traffickers. I'm going to give you a new detail. 
the trap the trafficking victims were able to steal guns from people that were gun owners and their families and criminals with guns they were just stealing guns and so they ended up firing the fatal shots and not me even though I shot them in the rib cage talk about the traffickers they ended up firing the fatal shots that killed the traffickers because remember it was them shooting aimlessly. They were trying to not just kill me, but the rest of the trafficking victims because they felt like we were being too mouthy towards them and that we were standing up for ourselves too much for them. So they were just shooting aimlessly. So I took out, so that's when I told y'all about the fact that we were in like a. I remember it was an area. Looked like a barnyard a little bit. You would just see boxes and packages of things in a garage looking barnyard type of area. And, you know, they first they were shooting at me, all 15 traffickers in 15 different instances. So they were shooting at me, missing wildly. And, you know, not even hitting me at all in terms of gun violence. I took out a semi-automatic pistol, shot him in the rib cage, and then out of nowhere I saw shots being pumped into his body. Because if, and it turns out that the sex trafficking victims had guns. They were able to sneak off, get their weapons, and come back. At first, as I told you earlier in the, in the in past episodes, way past episodes, that they thought that, you know, the streets thought that I was the killer. And they said Tony was the killer. Then the streets quickly corrected and said, no, no, no. The, the victims did that. They ambushed the traffickers. They fired the fatal shots. Tony fired one shot. So that's what the saying was in the streets. And the majority of the child abusers, adult abusers, sex criminals, violent criminals, theft criminals, and financial criminals, the majority of them have been murdered and the rest are serving decades of penitentiary time. I don't think they'll ever get out. That's how badly behaving they were. And what the victims did was it came to some of the trappers and some of the adult customers. They robbed them and then beat them. Confiscated their materialism and then animalistically annihilated them using their own physicality to do so. I remember in the streets I was forced to have a domineering, bossy, overbearing personality. Very commanding giving orders and making people submit to my orders whether through my words or through my fists and both. So I was the one that if I told you to run, you would run. Whatever I told you to do, that's what you did. That's how it was for me in that world. So I'll say this about the organized crime world. Racketeering, I can honestly say, really does happen in that world. Um, 
racketeering engaging in a pattern of illegal scheming activity for profit, which I saw often. A quote-unquote racket is a fraudulent and often legal activity that is often carried out by means of extortion or intimidation, which I saw often. For example, the protection racket, business owners in the area must pay local criminals to avoid physical harm or property damage either by criminals from that organization or a different one. I saw these things often. And so... Um, I did see many criminals become incarcerated because of the RICO Act. Advent of the RICO Act, the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organization RICO Act is a U.S. federal legislation signed into law by 1970 that includes 35 offenses under its umbrella of illegal activities, which range from murder and kidnapping to conspiracy and extortion. So I witnessed adult murders, I witnessed kidnappings, I witnessed conspiracies, and I witnessed extortions. Several of the crimes that can be prosecuted are racketeering or white-collar crimes in Maine today involve the internet, for example, online gambling rings. So if online gambling was big back then, they would have been arrested back then. Or it happened, it just happened extremely on the low, which I think is real. Many states have also enacted RICO laws, some of which are considerably broader in scope than the federal statute. Um... And those are facts. The Federico Act was originally devised to help combat organized crime in the United States. That's a fact. Being able to prosecute racketeering strengthened the power of federal investigators by opening an avenue to pursue criminal charges that may have been otherwise left to the consideration of individual states. So that's why I think the states and the federal government should agree on the basic things. That way you don't have to rely on the federal government so much to legally... Um, punish people in need of it, the ones who do the wrong. Then it says, also create an avenue to bring charges against individuals prospering from crimes that resulted from their orders but not their direct actions, such as a mob boss commanding a hitman. All Everything I'm reading to you, I personally saw. Using racketeering charges, prosecutors could stack seemingly unrelated crimes against an organization that just targeting individuals for single crimes. The penalties were also expanded to include minimum sentences that were longer than those that would have been typically applied for a single crime committed by an individual. Other penalties included fine, other penalties include fines and forfeiture of property or profits gained during illegal activities. Again, everything I'm reading to you, I personally witnessed. And then it says, okay, prosecuting and providing a case under the RICO Act. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, there are five tenets to prosecuting and proving a case under the RICO Act. One, that, that an enterprise existed. Two, that the enterprise affected interstate commerce. Three, that the defendant was associated with or employed by the enterprise. Four, that the defendant engaged in a pattern of racketeering activity. And five, that the defendant conducted or participated in the conduct of the enterprise through that pattern of racketeering activity through the commission of at least two acts of racketeering activity. So all those things, it was normalized for me to see such things. The definition of an enterprise perfectly, in quotations, is purposefully wide to make it applicable to more interpretations. Other guidelines specify that the two acts must have occurred within a decade of each other in order to constitute a pattern. There also must be the implication of continuing criminal activity by the defendant. Again, it was normalized for me to witness such things. Um, So, yes... The world of the mafia, you do have mob business, uh, commissions, mafia's board of directors, which means disputes, management, membership, or service, the back of organized crime. Those are all the things I witnessed when it came to the mafia world I was forced to see. Um, and yes, the RICO charges are used to disrupt organized crime, racketeering charges made by 
may were used to target corruption involving public officials, the operation of drug cartels, street gangs, all of which I saw. Um, there are people who Falsify standardized test scores and event records, bribe athletic directors, coaches, administrators, you know. I criminals would brag about those type of things. Um an organized crime where I was in, and they and they bragged about portraying students as outstanding athletes in order to secure their admission to, you know, top ranked schools. Again, I would overhear it all the time. And the way they talk, I knew that they were sadly being honest about what they were doing. Organized crime never exterminates my moral excellence. And this is what I want to make clear about that type of world. I was always dismayed in my heart. That I had to be a man as a child. That's what I felt like I was forced to be. plotting on women I was largely responsible for combating and even greatly reducing because I felt like I had to be person who also stopped the plotting of girls, which I, I greatly reduced that. So, seeing if there's any other organized crime stories in my head. Well, my last organized crime story will be that You're probably wondering how the Russian and Italian mafias and Mexican drug cartels were able to talk to me because they're from different European nations. I would say that they were bilingual. They would speak Russian to members But to associates like myself, they would speak English. That's what would happen. And the mafias, um, Russian, Italian, and Mexican drug cartels, they were fluent English speakers and they were fluent Spanish speakers. So I, I could flow with them in terms of Russian and Italian and even Spanish, fluently Spanish, because they would tell me what they were saying. And I knew enough where I could 
hold conversations with them even back then. So they would use criminally coded language when it came to fluent Spanish, fluent Italian, and fluent Russian as well. That's all that happened in that world, and now let me get to uh, the religion part. I've learned that there is a such thing called by me, religionless Christ-likeness. And there's a parable that I read that's attributed to Jesus in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, that best describes the religionless Christ-likeness that I'm talking to you about now. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, or you know how they would say it. God, I thank you that I am not like those other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Um, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, those who humble themselves will be exalted. What it makes me think is, I know verse 13, I think that to me showed how in the the non-religious way, It basically says, hey, I grow from my mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. That's the secular way to put it. The religious way to put it is the way I read it to you. Um, All these things make me think of religion as Christ-likeness because even in that passage, I see Jesus making it clear that religion-full Christ-likeness does not exist. Religion-filled Christ-likeness does not exist. If you you remove religion from Christ-likeness, that means that moral integrity is still intact. And what does Christ like this man in this scenario. It means that your compassion doesn't have any of the sec doesn't have any of the conditions of sectarian abuse. And that your empathy doesn't have any of the stipulations of clandestine abuse either. 
So, I'm making this parable secular so it could be understood that religion is Christ likeness, meaning my compassion and my empathy are free of clandestine abuse, sectarian abuse. That means that lawless establishments and legalistic establishments must be obliterated. Judaizer establishments must be obliterated as well. That way, believers, non-believers, and believers and theists can coexist peacefully without seeing eye to eye on everything. That there can be democracy between the faith-based and the secular. Especially grassroots democracy. I didn't make any of this religious. Even though it had religious language in it, meaning the parable. I was talking about the fact that the divine in a secular sense means that the moonlit, sunlit effervescence of you and of others has to be has to be inwardly safeguarded because Once haughtiness kicks in, that means that anyone or anything secular, anyone or anything out of your religion, you will persecute and then allow the persecution complex to lie to you to convince you that you're being persecuted when they stand up for themselves. If you can't receive it, don't dish it out in the first place. So I'm into religionless Christ-likeness which is the same thing as my gospel of belonging. All you have to be is a positive person. Meaning it's okay to be secular. It's okay to be faith-based. Even if you're traditional, even if you're non-traditional, you're affirmed. You're embraced. Just be a positive person. I have to be. And the secular way, when it talks about not looking up to heaven, beat his breast, God mercy on me, and the secular way would be I don't have to give in to self disparagement in order to show reverence to anyone or anything. Hmm. And that's all my views on religion. Basically, child and tone is faith-based and adult tone is secular-based, so 
merging together, you get religionless, Christ-likeness. Okay. And real quick, when it came to the organized crime, I do remember that sometimes I would just let the birdie at people. Make fun of being a gentleman. And they would go, try to go verbally toe-to-toe with me, talking about these guys. And I was the verbal master at that time. My punchlines, my witty statements and comebacks were the most lethal around that time. And wrapping up with the sex part, what I do... Uh need to say is that I couldn't sleep with anyone who is I couldn't sleep with anyone who is sexually inattentive Sexually not concentrating, sexually distracted, sexually lacking concentration, sexually preoccupied, sexually failing to attend to the sexual comfort or wishes of me, not paying sexual attention to me, sexually negligent, sexually neglectful, sexually remiss, sexually slack, sexually sloppy, sexually slapdash, sexually lackadaisical, sexually lax. Sexually forgetful, sexually careless, sexually thoughtless, sexually heatless, sexually unthinking, sexually indifferent, sexually unconcerned, sexually unconsidered, and refusing to be sexually attentive because I can't sleep with anyone who's into sexual careless living and sexual moral blackness.